Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in. And in today's broadcast, we have part one of a two-part live teaching session called Teaching Church that took place at Church of the Nazarene in Harrisonburg on March 18th for a group of pastors and leaders from the Virginia District Church of the Nazarene. And in part one of the Teaching Church, Pastor Adrian Mills invited Sarah Kinzer to come and share devotional and a little bit about her book, Abide, on Better Understanding Holiness. And we believe that this will bring hope for your life. All right, well, here we are. We've got some people in the room. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for some people on Zoom. We've got a few more on the way, I know. And so we are embarking on a little bit of unprecedented territory today, teaching church hybrid. And so uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, if you are on Zoom, if you would sign in, let us know who you are and where you're watching from. I know some of you are so old, you think everyone just knows who you are, but um, it's helpful. And we have some giveaways today. So we have some giveaways for those in the room and for those online. So um, yeah, but thanks. We need each other. I, I think we know that more than ever. Um, I, don't, I don't know. May, maybe I'm the only one in this season, but I think we all have come to realize how much we need each other. So that's what Teaching Church is about. It's peer-to-peer learning, and we're going to do some of that today. Uh, in just a minute, my friend Sarah, who is on staff with us here, is going to come share um, out of a devotional that she wrote. And so I invited her to share her heart a little bit. And you're really going to enjoy that. Uh, she shared with the teaching church before. And then I'm going to ask a little bit, uh, a little bit of Q&A about her book and a little bit about the process of uh, how you decide to write a devotional book on holiness. And so uh, we'll spend the first 30 minutes or so there. And then super excited, uh, Pastor Sam Montanez is here in the room and he's got some really good content today on our deficits as leaders. Uh, again, maybe I'm the only one over the last year that is m- much more aware of my deficits than ever before, but also uh, our, our strength, our power. What's the word you use, Sam? Power? Power. power. That's it. I just want to make sure I get it. I know it wasn't superpower, but um, so that's, that's going to be our conversation. So Sam's got some great content to share with us, some practical stuff, some stuff I think that's going to help us, uh, and, th- and then we're going to have some opportunity to talk here in person and online. So let me pray, and then Sarah's going to come uh, kick us off with some encouragement and uh, from the Word today. But let me pray. Lord, um, thanks for leaders, and uh, thank you that we don't lead alone. We don't lead in isolation. We don't lead uh, in obscurity today. Um, and if we feel that way, we do feel that way at times. But Lord, you invite us into community, and so thank you for those today that are joining in. Um, Thanks that, that we're trying to kind of blaze a, a new path towards figuring out how to, how to do this in a, in a day and age where it can be complicated at times, um, maybe easier to avoid community, to resist it in some ways. So thanks. And God, I know for each person represented today on, online and in person, there's burdens represented today. Um, personal burdens, burdens that we carry just for ourselves and our loved ones but also just the burden of leadership right now. Lord, it is heavy. And we, we, we don't carry that burden alone. We sense your spirit, Lord, walking with us. We sense your power at work in us. We sense your promise, Lord, that you're not going to leave us or forsake us. And Lord, we acknowledge that good things are happening. Good things are happening today in your church. Good things. Open our eyes, Lord, if we don't see that yet. Open our eyes to see good things are happening 
And uh, we, we have, are in the midst of a new season as, as spring comes and we thaw out a little bit and maybe some rain will bring some beautiful flowers and, and budding trees. We also acknowledge, Lord, that you bring new seasons in our life and in ministry. And there's good in every season. There, there's good even in the winter, Lord. I love things about it, but I'm always grateful for the new season of spring. And so, Lord, thank you for the season that we've been in, for the good things that you've done, because we believe you were there. You were there with us in that season. And now as we journey into a new season, we're just as confident that you're there with us, and we're just as confident that you've got good things in store. Uh, be with us today as we, as we tune in, as we uh, open up our ears, open up our hearts a little bit, and we learn uh, from each other and from you. Encourage us. I pray that maybe the person that feels most heavy or most discouraged or most isolated today would find incredible encouragement today. Um, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, my friend Sarah's coming. You can welcome her if you're here in the room and online with your virtual clapping emojis. Good morning. There we go. So I'll tell you, this might not apply because it is, there is far more gentlemen in this room than ladies, but maybe there are far more ladies online. I just wanted to tell you that I picked this outfit out last week. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite dress. It has pockets. It's delightful. And I knew last week what I was going to wear today. And then I thought yesterday, what am I going to wear? No, I know what I'm going to wear. I'm going to wear the purple dress, right? And then I got up this morning and I pulled out several different black outfits because maybe black is more professional and also slimming. And um, maybe none of you guys think about that. <laughs> but I wanted to tell you that even when I had like the decision made and knew what would make me happy and comfortable, like when the time came and it was down to the wire, and my car's in the shop, so Olivia's picking me up and she's like, I'm on the way. I'm still wondering, what do I do, right? which feels like a little bit of a mini picture of how the last year has gone. So it's like decision after decision, and we feel confident a week out, and then we get down to the wire, and it's like, ah, uh, maybe this would be more professional, or maybe this would make me look better. I don't know. Uh, what do I do? And the time limit's coming. You know, your friend's coming to pick you up and take you to church, and the decision has got to be made. Um, Every decision in the past year has felt enormous um, to open or to close, to meet in person or not, to be inside or outside, to mask or not, to get a vaccine or not, who to support, who to vote for, if you should say something from the pulpit or not, if you should say something on social media or not. There are people probably this morning who feel like the decision to come in person or online is a big decision. What will it say about me? I'm glad that you guys are here, and I'm glad that there are people online. I'm so appreciative that we have the tools and the resources we have. But every decision feels like the weight of our roles, our people, our community, our country, our families, and in some cases, the whole world hang in the balance. What this year, what decision this year hasn't felt like life or death? What decision this year hasn't felt like if we choose the wrong thing? Someone might not just leave our church, but leave their faith. We are living in the era 
of the knowledge of good and evil, and it is exhausting. What we see around us is simply evidence that we are living in a broken and fallen world that has been broken in a very particular way and has been broken that way since the fall of man. Let me explain. So in Genesis, we read, the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So tucked in the middle of all the best that was available to man was the greatest treasure, the tree of life. Of all the beautiful and nutritious food, this was a tree worth noting. I imagine the sweetest of all the fruit in the garden, a favorite to Adam and Eve, so enticing that they would eat until they could eat no more. When Jesus says in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, I hear the promise to bring us back to that garden tree, to feed us once again from the best fruit that God had in the garden. And alongside that tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The trouble that tree has caused. For years, I couldn't understand why God would put it in the garden. People would say, free will, explaining that love is not love where it is forced, and choice is not choice where no other option is given. If we had no free will, the good and evil tree would be a trap. But as we do, the tree was an opportunity. Even with this understanding of free will, I was pretty sure God could have prevented this somehow. And also, how bad could the fruit have been? It's not like it was the tree of murder or sexual immorality or the tree of deceit. It was just some knowledge. It's when we look at the before and after of eating that fruit that we see just how damaging it is. Before tasting the knowledge of good and evil, we fed on life and fed till we were full with only one limitation before us. We had hunger. We could see the fruit was beautiful and pleasing in taste. We had a way to meet that need. It was not the desire to feed, nor the awareness that the fruit was beautiful which condemned us. It was that God said, I have given you a way to meet that need. Anything in this garden will satisfy. Anything except that. Before our knowledge of good and evil, God limited us, but after we became aware of this knowledge, we had to limit ourselves. And if you look at how we manage this task, we do a miserable job. We see good and evil, but we don't see it with God's wisdom or God's vision. We don't see it with God's interest first in our heart. We are not ruled by one command to simply let God, with his infinite wisdom, vision, and care for his creation, be in charge of knowing good and evil. Rather, we must make unending good versus evil judgment calls, calls which are beyond our capacity to rule. God's single limitation was infinite protection for all of us, keeping us from transforming ourselves into our own God. And this is the world we're living in, a world that is overrun with decisions we are not qualified to make, a world that is overrun with decisions we were not intended to make. I didn't understand holiness for a long time, and I'm not going to pretend like now I do. Now I understand it all. But um, I thought holiness was equal kind of with being a decent human being and figuring it out and growing up. But then I would read in the Bible. At the same time, I would read verses about holiness, which seemed like the sample was just too high. 
In 1 Peter 1, we read, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Over and over, the Bible speaks to the necessity of living a holy life. In 1 Peter, it is neither a hint nor a suggestion that we be holy, but a directive, a command. God would not command something of us that we would be unable to carry out. It is clear that we can, in fact, live holiness in this lifetime, but it would do a disservice to the teaching of holiness to not look at the word in 1 Peter that makes all the difference. Because it does not read, be holy, in the same way that I am holy. It does not read, be holy in imitation of my holiness. It says, be holy because I am holy. The first two statements would be like looking at a cup and saying, cup, you will be filled with tea in the same way that the teapot is full of tea, and then waiting for the cup to produce hot water in a tea bag. Change it to because, and the message is, cup, you will be filled with tea because the teapot is filled with tea. We may all be familiar with the 23rd Psalm's expression of blessing and abundance, which says, my cup runneth over. This is how we are able to live a holy life. We exchange being full of ourselves for being full of him, and because he is holy, then we are holy. Holiness is not an effort-filled imitation of the good behavior of God. Rather, it is the choice to accept the outpouring from God of the sweet fullness of his spirit so that what is expressed in word and deed is a holy life marked by love. Since God commands holiness, it is possible because God is holy, we are able. That's all true, but it still can feel overwhelming because we're not supposed to be living a life that is bound up by decisions we're not able to make but it would be probably little comfort for me to say, quit making the decisions. You're not supposed to. Our lives and our livelihoods and our churches rely on us to make decisions, to make good choices. And so where is the comfort that it is available to us if we don't know, if we don't have any way to get to it? We don't know what to do to help ourselves be full of him instead of chasing behaviors and chasing good choices. The first thing I'd like to suggest is that we don't feed a starving world off the fruit that is poisoning us. If what is making us sick is this chasing Decisions of good versus evil. Stop feeding them with good versus evil. Feed them from the tree of life. Part of that is recognizing that not every decision is good versus evil. Some choices are just choices. And I thought of this story, um, this little story that I have in my memory, um, and then I thought, if it's completely fabricated and I made it up in my imagination, probably Stephen Willis won't even hear me say it. 
But Stephen Willis, for those of you who can't see, is sitting right there. So if this is not a story that you once told, <laughs> it is what it is. It's a great story anyway. But that is <laughs> that in my memory, he said that when they chose the carpets for the church, he did not do this by committee. He just said, we want that carpet. And he just picked it because it was the carpet that seemed best to him. Because he knew that, and he's nodding, so... Um, he knew that, that somebody would have an opinion about the carpet, no matter which way he wanted to go, which way he went. And it's just not that deep. It's just carpet. Some decisions are just choices, so just make them. And then there's some choices that feel really big. Before I worked here, I worked at a cabinet shop, and when I was coming to the decision about oh, do I go work for the church or do I stay working for the cabinet ch shop? I was making pros and cons, you know, list and list and list and list. And my friend Jared said to me, maybe the point is not which is the right decision because maybe God is saying either choice is fine. Where will you serve me faithfully? Will you serve me faithfully at church or will you serve me faithfully at the cabinet shop? The decision isn't about uncovering some grand destiny, but just will you be faithful where you are? There are a few things. We can pray. I have prayed more in the last year than probably my entire life. I have prayed more with other people. I have prayed more intentionally. I have prayed more in prayers that aren't really prayers. They're just exhaustion. And me saying, look, I'm exhausted. I have relied on the prayers of other people who have gone before me, who have provided written prayers. We are walking with our God through this. We are not faced with, is this a choice that matters or not, alone. So talk to him. Do you believe that he's walking with you? Or not? Do you believe that he's listening to you? Or not? And do you believe he can do anything about what you ask from him? Or do you not? The second thing that, that has encouraged me in the past year is that I have been reading my Bible. And when when these things come at me and I think, okay, but this is not carpets. And this isn't about, do I faithfully serve at the cabinet shop or at the church? This is about, this is about people's lives. And this is about the people that I love feeling loved. And this is about a faithful representation of Christ to them. And when I thought about this this morning, there's one example that may or may not make people bristle for me to bring it up, but people who know me know. I don't shy away from the bristling. Last summer, we were hearing, we had people we love saying, Black Lives Matter, and we had people we love saying all lives matter. 
And I didn't know, what do I say to these people? Because I could hear the argument for each side, and I could think, I can see how what you're saying to me, I can see the validity, I can see the heart, I can see the thought process. And I was eating off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and how I was processing it. I wasn't looking to the tree of life. I was looking to the tree of figuring it out, the tree of strategy, the tree of the best explanation. And so I went to the word and where people would say to me, you know, it says in Christ, there is no Greek or Jew. And so I went to the word because it does say that. And I read and I looked in commentaries and I said, tell me what this is talking about. And what I see is that it had to be said because in that time, in Christ, there is no Greek or Jew, but in that place he was addressing, there was. And so it had to be said. And as I studied and looked into the word and said, do I believe this word or not? Did that mean that, I mean, I'm the director of generational ministries, you know? I'm not the lead pastor, but I had to settle it in my heart. It wasn't for me, what do I go and tell everybody? And everybody's getting mad at me, and people are emailing me, and people are leaving the church. There are decisions that are big. And maybe it feels like prayer and reading your Bible is too easy. But it's what I got. And I believe that they're good tools. So I would invite you today, as you are considering the weight of the world that we live in, to look at what your tools are and ask, do I believe that God has equipped me well with what he's given me or not? Would you pray for us? Yeah. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to choose you. And I thank you that you don't leave us to walk through this alone. Father, I thank you that you care for us. And I thank you that you are a good guide. I thank you that you sent your spirit. Because I need the spirit. Father, I pray for those who are in the room and online today that they will feel that they are walking with a kind God who wants to bless them and care for them and encourage them and who loves them deeply. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, well, Sarah's not going to go away yet, but let's uh, thank her this morning for sharing with us. Um, I'm going to, I'll talk loud. I think the Zoom people will be able to hear me and I'll let her use the mic. Um, we both can be really loud, but I'll let her. Um, I'm going to spend a couple minutes talking uh, to Sarah about the book she wrote. So Sarah didn't come to me and say, hey, when's teaching church? I want to... Um, Sarah has like deep passion for a lot of things, and I, I love uh, getting to hear passionate people share. And so I invited her today to share, um, but she wrote a book, a devotional book. It's called Abide, 
And uh, I love the title. So I'm going to ask you a few questions about it. And we're actually giving a few of these books away, um, which is kind of a cool way to bless her and, and you because you get to read about holiness. So how can you not be blessed by that? But so the title is Abide, the Day-to-Day Demystification of Holiness. Yeah. So that title in and of itself says a lot. So just tell us, obviously, you felt like the message of holiness needed to be demystified. I mean, it was it's, it's mystical. It, it feels difficult, hard to understand. And, and so talk to us about the process of how this was birthed. Obviously, it was birthed out of a very personal place. Mm-hmm. You share that throughout the book, personal stories, personal places where... You, you didn't quite even understand what holiness meant. So just tell right. us a little bit more about the process of, I mean, who sits down and says, I'm going to write a book on holiness. I mean, that's, yeah. that like, we should all do that, right? But I, I, that's, that's overwhelming to some of us. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, okay. So um, I didn't grow up with the language of holiness. Um, I grew up in church um, and in several, I was involved in several different denominations. And when I... By the time I had arrived at the Church of the Nazarene, I had a lot of, it was like piecemeal theology. Hmm. You know, some pieces were bigger than others, but it was still pretty piecemeal. Um, And so, but what I had, the piece I had on what I thought holiness was, was basically being a decent human being and being a grown-up. And there were things that would be like, look, I'm getting more holy because now I don't have the struggles that you have when you're a teenager and you're dating, you know, Hmm. like... And peer pressure is really bad when you're a teenager, you know? Right. Like, you're just yeah. like, oh, I'm yeah. so holy because those things yeah. fi- fixed. Right, 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 um, right. But then you, I would occasionally at our church, in a, well, not a, um when I went back and listened to the sermons after, like, after I had, um, after I was sanctified and after I heard and read and studied and dug into this, I went back and listened to the sermons and was like, oh, that's what he was saying hmm. all this time. But occasionally there would be people who would come and they would stand up and they would give a testimony and they would say, I have been entirely sanctified and I no longer sin or make mistakes hmm. and that's excellent. You could be perfect too. Hmm. And I would think, I don't know about that one. Yeah. Um, and so um, by the time I came here, um, God was doing a big work in my life, um, and blessing me and working me through things. Mm, Um, but when I was entirely sanctified, I still didn't understand what was happening. And I said to Mm. my friend, Karen, I said, she said, do you know what that was? That's Mm. like, that's my Karen. Yeah. She's so pretty good actually. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what that was? And I was like, I know what you're going to tell me. I know what you would call it, but I'm not ready to call it that. And so I wanted to, again, like I say, I like to know things. Hmm. I wanted to know what I was looking at. And I didn't want to say, that's what that was. And then in four months, it wasn't. Hmm. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to understand the work that God was doing in my life. Yeah. And so, like, the book is a reflection of that. It, it tells a story of my pro- processing it. Um, it's a great um, mix of just personal story. Like, I was just looking at the table. I had read, I mean, like, why you gave up gluten, you know? Like, how do, how do you incorporate that into a message on holiness? But it's there. Talk to me, though. So I remember as you were processing, and I think you had written it, but you were, it hadn't been published yet. And you were talking about a couple specific people in your life that as you were writing it, you were thinking of them in that you knew 
Um, either they weren't churched, they certainly didn't come from a holiness background, and you wanted them to be able to pick up this book mm-hmm. and read it. And whether they read, you know, at the end of the book, whether they were ready to say, yeah, holiness is my jam or not, they would be able to read and understand this. Yeah. So talk, talk a little bit about that, because I think that's really important. So my um, pastor Bruce in Ohio used to say, I'm not interested in people to be able to present the language of holiness. I am interested that they experience holiness. <laughs> and so uh, when I look back after not understanding and went back to the experiences before, and then I could hear the message of holiness because I understood the language and I understood the concept, and then I could hear it throughout other people's messages. Yeah. Um, I was able to see that different... there. It is in different denominations. It is in different traditions. Um, the language might be different. The presentation might be different. But because there's this division in language, I guess, yeah. that people miss like the beauty and the richness. It's not to teach definitions. It's not a dictionary. Right. It's to present the, I don't even want to say concept, the truth of it. Right. Because In real life, right? Like, yeah. like practically, this is how it looks. And yeah. This is how it, yeah. Yeah. Because it feels, it can feel very much like, if you look at it from a dictionary perspective, it can feel like, I, those are really big words. Mm. Even the word sanctification for me was mm. like, particularly entire sanctification. Yeah. Like, I can't remember. <laughs> it was just like, I felt like if I said entire sanctification three times in the dark, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a Wesleyan would pop up and be like, done. Yeah. You know? Right, or, right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, it just, it was like, I don't know what to do with that word. And it just felt strange to me. But when I, like, understanding the language of it um, also helped me understand the concept of it. And it helped me, like, I want to explain it to people who don't have the language and who are concerned that if they say entire sanctification three times in the dark, they're yeah. going to get gotten. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. that they can feel like, oh, this is available. It's available to everybody. Sweet. Not just people in the Church of Nazarene. Pastor Kerry Willis, my pastor, who was the pastor here at this church for many, many years, most of you know him well, um, we would have these conversations about theology. And, and I would say, as, you know, kind of a young whippersnapper, as he would call him, you know, I'd say, we have to find new language. We have to find new language. And, and he would rightly kind of push back a little bit, but he's like, yeah, but but let's not lose right. the richness. of. So, so what I love about this is I, I, I think we don't have to pick. And you talked about that earlier. Yeah. Like, we don't have to pick, like, do we believe in sanctification? Can we use that word? Is that Or is that word just outdated? No, no, no. We, we can and we need to, but then we can also talk about fresh language to, yeah. to present to. It's not just a generational thing, but people that are not churched people that don't have a, or they've been hurt by the church. Mm-hmm. We need to find new and fresh ways to present this idea. Um, yeah. I said this, we, um, we did a message here, a series uh, to start the year, um, what we're for. And, yeah. and one, so we did four weeks on what we're for. And uh, one week I said, we're for holiness. And I said that day and I really felt like it. We have as much to kind of unlearn about it um, as we do. And I, I feel like that's true. There's so much that we know about holiness, but then we kind of default to these um, things that aren't really that helpful practically in living it out. Um, and, and so a lot of the things, that, the demystification, it's kind of that idea. Yeah. So any closing thoughts? Some people are getting this book today. Some people might want it. Who is this book for? Um, this book is for everybody. <laughs> That's a good, what a great author you are. What a great, yeah, for everyone, I every think person. I think it's for 
like my catchphrase, the thing that I tag my life with is freedom for the free. And so if you are someone who is feeling bound up, like my hope with this is that the message of holiness can set you free. Yeah. And so I have seen people read it who are well, are far along in their faith walk, who are um, in positions of leadership, and it has ministered to them. I have also seen people who are just new to the faith read it and say, this spoke to me. Sweet. So. Yeah, it's great. It's a devotional book. You can do it day by day, or you can read it cover to cover. That's true. Yeah, it's good stuff. Sarah's got more. If you're interested, if you think this is a resource, um, people in your church, she didn't come to sell books. I said that. I said, hey, let me give some of your books away. Let me, because, uh, and we've done that before with those of you that have resources. I like, you're working on these things. This is your passion. I like sharing it with others to make sure that we can share our, our knowledge and resource. So if you're interested in getting some more, she will uh, hook you up with that. If you're watching and you'd like one of these, let me know today. I'll mail you one and I will vouch for you, which is kind of a dangerous thing for some of your characters, but, uh, and you can give her 10 bucks when you can. Um, but we'll make sure, I want to make sure if you want one of these, this is a great tool and a way that we can bless Sarah. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. We pray that it has brought hope to your life. We also would like to invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes.